Church family, my name is Emily and I serve with our Student Life team. Just a few announcements before we get started this morning. If you're visiting, welcome. We're so glad you joined us. We'd love to hear from you. You can scan the QR code on your seat to learn more about us and the ways that you can get connected. Or fill out a Connect card in the seat back in front of you. You can drop it off in one of the boxes in the Worship Center or stop by and say hello at the welcome desk. We are once again taking part in Lent, an intentional and extended time of communion with God, both individually and as a community, leading up to Good Friday and Easter. The first six weeks, we're praying through some of the prayers of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Then, during Holy Week, we'll pray through and reflect on key passages in Matthew about Jesus's last week. To learn more and find the prayer and scripture reading schedule, along with our Easter service times, visit wheatonbible.org Easter. You are invited to a very special 8.30 a.m. traditional service next Sunday. The Wheaton College Symphony Orchestra will be leading our time in worship. Whether or not you normally join us for the traditional service, come out and experience the beauty of God through this special service. This ensemble has a history dating back to the 1800s and features a 65-piece orchestra. The prelude will begin around 8.20 a.m. Thank you for spending a part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an incredible week. Good morning and welcome. Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God is praiseworthy for all people, all circumstances. Jesus even says that if we don't praise him, the rocks will cry out in our place. He is praiseworthy from all people in all circumstances. Katie and I were recently surprised by a friend who we continue to see praising the Lord through some very difficult circumstances. And we reflected that these difficult times are why the Lord calls us to the discipline of praise. Our friend was not going to allow a rock to take her place in praising the Lord, even maybe especially in a difficult time. Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Let's be called to worship him because of his praiseworthiness in all circumstances from all people. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. 
responsively from Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. You may be seated. Dr. Payne wrote that song, and we all love it so much. 
We've spent the morning giving God glory and declaring that his glory should be shared with all peoples everywhere. And so now the question is for us as a group, as a family this morning, what do you personally want to give God glory for this morning? So lift up your voice and shout it out and I'll repeat it for everyone to hear. Let's be encouraged by our family this morning. What do you praise God or give him glory for? His overpowering forgiveness. His patience. His patience. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. His love. His protection. His peace. His peace and his love. His deliverance. His deliverance. Amen. He is in control. He is in control. His worldwide body, amen. We are the last of the group of believers to worship him on Sunday morning, and we celebrate that. His presence. His presence. He's with us here. His goodness. His goodness. His, his healing power. His healing power and his faithfulness back here. His word coming. His coming and his word And he, his truth in an age where it's hard to find. His, Pray, his sustaining grace. His sustaining grace. He is, is my fortress. I'll never be shaken. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Thank you. His love. And finally, that he saved us. We are here to glorify him because he has rescued us in Christ. We are forgiven. So let's stand again and celebrate the wondrous mystery of his grace and the cross.
we encourage you to follow Paul's example through his letters and say, grace and peace be with you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be with you. Then you may have a seat. How's everyone doing? Wasn't that an amazing time of worship? How about if we give glory to God really quick? Um, I'm going to invite the ushers to please come to the front. As we continue with this attitude of worship, we remember that everything we are and everything we have is because of the grace of God. And when we have tasted how good and amazing and powerful the grace of God, the most natural reaction is to respond in adoration and to give to the Lord what he deserves. And this is part of the reason why we collect an offering and we give our tithing. Because we want to give back to God just a little bit of how much he has given us already. You may pass the plates. As we pass the plates, I wanted to take just a few minutes to share with you um, a little bit of the trip, uh, share with you a little bit of our trip that we just did in three different parts of, uh, of the world. We, as you know, um, we have been saying that uh, Pastor Bill, Pastor Kyle, and one of our elders, Josh Gary, we spent about 11 days um, with 15 of our global partners, and we spent time in Turkey, in Albania, and Greece. Um, and I got to tell you that it was such a beautiful and amazing thing to see what the Lord is doing in that side of the world. And to know that our God is powerful and reaching people and serving people and doing amazing things. Um, so I came back uh, with this overwhelming gratitude and overwhelming encouragement and overwhelming inspiration um, because our God is moving, like Aslan is moving and doing amazing things in this part of the world and in that part of the world. Now, I'm going to share really quick uh, some of our experiences, uh, some of the stuff that we did. So we spent, uh, the first uh, stop was in Turkey and we spent uh, time there with our partners um, uh, seeing how is it that this group of people are, are, are trying to love well the people in North Africa, love well the people in the Middle East. Um, uh, trying to love people well in, in really complicated and rich and resources and highly persecuted pl uh, places. So to see these people committed to what they're doing was so incredibly uh, good for us to see and hear uh, and taste. Um, from there, we went to Albania. 
And actually, it is such a pleasant surprise because one of the leaders I met there, one of the pastors I met there, he's here this morning. So I'm actually going to ask you to please stand, you and your family. How about we welcome Pastor Mark here? I did not know that you were going to be here, so such a blessing. And now I got to re-change my script because, you know, you're here. Uh, as you know, we support a couple of missionaries over there. Uh, we, we have um, uh, two of our missionaries over there that we have is um, Eric and Kathy Gundy. They have been there, I think they have been there for about 23 years or so. And they have been working with Pastor Mark for a while. Um, and they do all kinds of different things over there. So they have a Bible school. They do different camps. Actually, one of the latest things that they, they've done is they have this camp for people that are blind or, or with uh, uh, sight impairments. Um, they are committed to raise a whole generation of young leaders for the glory of God. Uh, it was super amazing for us to see how the Lord is moving. We got the chance to spend some time at um, Pastor Mark's church. Uh, he got to do a little trick using me uh, in all of that. Uh, it, it was so great to see what the Lord is doing in Albania. And it explains why is it that we have been supporting uh, the Gandhis for all these years. And it explains why is it that we will continue to support the Gandhis and people like them. And it explains why is it that we will continue into the future doing the same thing committed to the global cause of Christ. From there, we went to Greece. And in Greece, we got to visit uh, two sets of missionaries that we also support, uh, Jonathan and his wife, uh, Jonathan and Miriam and Chris, and also the third generation of mi uh, missionaries, Justin and uh, Evangelia McCris. Now, this, uh, this ministry, the ministry they, they have is an amazing ministry. It's called uh, the Hellenistic Ministries, and they do all kinds of crazy, beautiful things. So, for example, they took us into one location. There's one building um, uh, that from the outside doesn't look like anything super special. It's just a building. But as soon as you step in, you see that every floor, I think it was four different floors, every floor has a different ministry. So, for example, in the first floor, they had like a little, uh, like a little store, if you will, for people, for immigrants that, has, don't, that they don't have enough uh, clothing. Then in the same floor, there was a medical clinic. If you go to the next one, there was like a, like a training slash school uh, training center for, for, um, for, for people without education. Now, when you get to the next floor, you got this beautiful, uh, like a luncheon like a lunching kind of thing in which there's a beautiful kitchen that, by the way, in the early 2000s, a group from WBC went to help um, kind of redo that kitchen. And since that time to today, they have served about 1.5 meals, million meals uh, to people in need. 1.5 million meals. And to get to see that we got to contribute somehow to that. And to see that the Lord is moving in amazing ways. And then Jonathan took us to the top of this hill when we can see most of Athens, right? And then Athens has about 20,000 uh, Christians. So in his head, somehow he made, he's counting the numbers and he says that in this region, like let's say like, a, like in the area of West Chicago, Maybe, no, not even, half of West Chicago, he says, that's where most of Christians are or live, if you will. And we are yet to reach the rest of Athens. 
Now, I got to tell you, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, when is that going to happen? Like, this is a lot of people without Jesus just yet. And this is the thing that spoke to me the most. He says, I don't know how we're going to reach all these people for Jesus. I actually don't know if we are going to reach all these people for Jesus. But this I know. That we will continue to do what we're doing. We will be faithful to our call. And the Lord will do what he wants to do. Isn't that amazing? Now it gets better. Because right at the end, then he takes us to this island. One of the Greek islands. And we get to the, to the top hill. Uh, to, to the top part of this hill. And, and uh, we, we get to see this beautiful picture of God's creation. And then we started to worship together. Pastor Bill actually was the one leading worship there. And then we started to pray for Greece. And we get to see the magnitude and the beauty and the power of our God. And then we get to, to ask him to do beautiful miracles. And to know that the same God that created the universe by the power of his word is the same God that is interested in reaching his creation for his glory and their good. But what made this unique is Pastor Kyle is behind us and he takes this picture. And then Jonathan McCree says this, that this is kind of the product of the gospel in which you have one Colombian, that'll be me, three Americans, two Albanians, one Iranian, a South African, and a Greek worshiping together. Asking the Lord to do something wonderful in that country. I don't know about you, but there's nothing more inspiring than for me to see that our God is the God of the nations. And for that, we want to give glory to him. Amen? Let's do that. Let's pray. My beautiful Savior, we have nothing but gratitude because you allow us to see and participate in what you are doing in this creation. That you allow us to see and enjoy that the power of the gospel is moving forward. That Aslan is in the move. That you are bringing people to repentance. That kingdom people get to be your voice and your hands and your feet. And that at the end of the day, Lord, your church will continue to move forward and not even the gates of hell will be able to stop it. And we are grateful, Lord, that we get to participate. And we get to contribute and we get to pray and we get to go. Lord, please help us and allow us to, to continue to be committed to the global cause of Christ. Please help us and allow us to be, to have a global perspective and to love the nations the way you love the nations. Please help us and allow us to be committed to the great commission and the great commandment. Because at the end of the day, that is the reason why we are here. That you so loved the world that you left your church here. And now, Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts for the preaching of your word. 
I pray, Lord, that you give us the wisdom to use this offering which is collected for the glory of your name and the well-being of others. And that by the power of your spirit, the presence of your spirit, and the ministry of your spirit, we may be able to understand, believe, and respond to what your Bible says. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus, and we all say... Morning, church family. If you would all stand with me as we continue in our worship this morning for the reading of God's word. And before I read our passage this morning, I will just say, so to get to lead Pastor Hannibal, my prayer and all these trips that I get to do so often with our missionaries is to always be in awe of what we should be in awe of. And that's always our Lord and the ways that he's moving. And, and so to see it with uh, or through fresh eyes through Pastor Hannibal and our elder Josh, that was a real highlight for me as he's just in awe so many times a day. So um, thank you for your prayers um, and for uh, supporting us as we went. So this morning we are in Matthew chapter 17 verses 1 through 3. If you have your Matthew journals with you, you can also turn uh, to page 92 of the journal. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Church family, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal. Uh, I want to welcome you all to Wheaton Bible Church. 
And before giving room to the text here and on uh, the preaching of this morning, I just want to do a quick announcement for those of you that had already signed up for our parenting seminar that we were supposed to hold this month. Uh, as a team, we decided to postpone it a little bit. Uh, we don't think that this is a good season for us to do it. Uh, uh, the, the, the lives of our parents are a little bit complicated during this season. Uh, so please stay with us. We will bring it back uh, sometime later on this year. Today, we continue through our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, and the text we just read is one of the reasons why we chose as a church to walk through the Gospel of Matthew. The text that we have in front of us today is one of the reasons why we decided to grab one of Jesus' biographies and walk verse by verse or section by section in this book, because that will be, that is the only way Listen up, church. This is the only way we as Christians and believers, um, we, we, we learn and we grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and why he came. It is only to walk in through the gospel, one of the gospels the way we're doing that we get to hear and see and read and understand and be, and be convinced that there is no one better, no one more secure, no one more reliable, no, more, no one more beautiful, no one more satisfying, no one more trustworthy, no one more perfect, no, more, no one more worthy of obedience, and no one more worthy of adoration than King Jesus. The text that we have in front of us is going to make that extremely clear. This is part of the reason why, if you're a believer, you could look around, you could look within, you could look up, and at the end of the day, you're going to come to the conclusion that there's no one else but Jesus, which is the heart of the text in verse 8. The text says that when they, the disciples, looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. So this morning, what I'm trying to do is, ask, is to ask one question and give you three answers. The question I'm trying to answer is, why should be Jesus be at the center of everything? Why is it that Jesus should be at the center of everything? And the three answers I want to um, offer to you today is because no one except Jesus is the glory of God. No one except Jesus is the only way. And no one except Jesus is the pleasure of God. No one except Jesus is the glory of God. No one except Jesus is the only way. And no one except Jesus is the pleasure of God. Now, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to look at the person next to you and ask the question, how beautiful, do you, how beautiful is Jesus to you? Go ahead. Let's go with point number one. No one except Jesus is the glory of God. I think that a good text to set the tone of this text is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Look at what it says. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. This is one of the most clear texts in the Bible that says that if you really want to know and understand and believe in the God of the Bible, you have to see Jesus. 
Because Jesus is the exact representation. He has the same essence, the same nature, the same substance, and the same character of God the Father. That it is impossible for anybody to have a relationship with the God of the Bible without having a a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the glory of God. With that in mind then, I'm going to walk you through the text, starting in verse 1. Look at what it says. After six days, and I need you to keep that number in mind, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brothers, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. Now, if you know anything about the New Testament uh, and the Gospels, you will probably already know that Peter, James, and John, out of the 12 disciples, these are the, the disciples that are closest to Jesus. You could say that these three disciples were the leaders of leaders. And it's interesting because in the history of Christianity, when you continue to read the Bible, you will notice that they play a very important role in the history of Christianity. So and so much that the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 9, says that these three guys were kind of pillars of our faith. Important people in the, in the Christian faith. But what I want you to notice there, then, is the word mountain. The question we're going to ask the text is why mountains are so important in the Gospel of Matthew? And why is this mountain so important in this narrative? So let me refresh your memory just in case you haven't noticed that before. But the devil tempted Jesus... And he took him to a high mountain where he could see the kingdoms of the world and the glory of the world. That's Matthew chapter 4. Now, if you remember, that is happening right before Jesus is starting his ministry. Another place where we see the mountain is in the Sermon of the Mountain in which we see, we find Jesus, one of Jesus' most important teachings about the Christian life. That will be Matthew chapter 5 through 7. We find another mountain in which Jesus is feeding and healing people. That would be Matthew chapter 15. It is in the Mount of Olives that Jesus is teaching about his second coming. That would be Matthew chapter 24. And the Great Commission was given in a mountain, which it will be in Matthew chapter 28. Put it this way. Everything super important that happened in the Gospel of Matthew, super extra important that happened in the Gospel of Matthew, Happen in a mountain. Therefore, you have to pay attention to what the text says. Part of the reason why the mountain is highlighted is so we put extra attention to what the text says. Now, look at what happens in verse 2. There he was transfigured before them, Jesus. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as the light. Now, the word um, uh, transfigure can also be translated as he was changed or transformed into something else, if you will. And it tells you that Jesus starts to shine and he looks radiant and this light is coming from within. So one of the ways the scholars puts it is that we see Jesus there as a self-producing, self-sustaining, and self-projecting light. That the light is coming from within. Now, if you know something about the history of the Bible, you might remember a couple of events in which we see something sort of similar to this. In Exodus chapter 13, for example, 
If you remember, this is when God is delivering uh, the Israelites from the slavery of Egypt. And as they enter into the wilderness, God shows himself as a pillar of cloud during the day to lead them. And as a pillar of fire at night to keep them warm and to give them light. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire never, ever, ever departed from his people until he gave them freedom. Now, part of the reason why that's important, because he tells you something about where God was during that event. See, God as a cloud and, and God as a radiance represents the presence of God, the protection of God. And he shows God as a freedom fighter. So I need you to keep that in mind. There's another event that we also find in the book of Exodus, which is Exodus chapter 24. This is the time when Moses is going up, uh, up uh, to Mount Sinai. Listen up. And six days later, the cloud of God, the radiance of God descends. And this is when God is reconfirming his covenant with his people. And that's important because in that event, it shows you this God that is a covenant God. That is a God that makes unconditional covenants with his people. That is not a God of contracts. That is a God of covenants. Now, I don't know, how many of you guys enjoy movies? How many of you guys hate movies? So we could pray for you. No. I don't know how many of you guys have been following or watch, actually, maybe not. Maybe your kids or your kids' kids, um, The Avengers. Now, if you don't know about anything about The Avengers, it's, it's all about heroes. And in one, there's, in one of the movies, uh, The Avengers are about to face and confront this powerful enemy that has the power to destroy everything by doing this. Now, one of the heroes in this story is Tony Stark, which is Iron Man. How many of you guys heard of Iron Man? That's good. P perfect. This is what he says. I pledge up to $1 million of my private wealth and up to one year of my entire of my time to defeat the enemy. But listen to the next part. But if it requires more than that, then you can count me out. And I'm looking at this, I'm watching this, and I'm thinking... What a lame hero. His commitment is conditional. He's only going to give so much. And if it doesn't work, then he's going to walk away. Thanks goodness the writers of this thought that that would not be a good idea to finish the movie. And then you got another scene in which all the Avengers come together, in which they are committing to defeat this enemy, and this is the phrase, the key phrase. They say, whatever it takes. That's a covenant. I'm going to stick around regardless of what happens, whatever it takes. Now, of course, we got to ask the question then. What is the relationship between Exodus chapter 13 and Exodus chapter 24 to what we see here in verse 2? Is there any sort of correlation between that event and this event? Was this simply coincidence that Jesus is going through something similar to what the, uh, the Israelites went in the past? Or that the disciples are looking at something that went similar to what happened in the Old Testament? Now, 
We as a church, we don't believe that the Bible is a Bible of coincidences. We believe in the sovereignty of God and the providence of God. We believe that God has a plan and would put everything in place to accomplish his plans. That's the sovereignty of God. And we also believe that our God is a God of providence, meaning that he uses everything to accomplish his promises. Amen? So the question remains, what's the relationship between what we saw in the book of Exodus and what we have here in verse 2? Listen up, church. I'm not going to tell you just yet. Because if I tell you, then you're going to miss the whole point. And that's why we have to keep on going because the text is going to show you even more. So, for example, now let's look at verse 3. Just then there appeared before them, Peter, James, and John, Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. Now, this is significant because Moses represents the entire law part of the Old Testament. And Elijah represents all the prophetic part of the Old Testament. Meaning that Moses represents everything that God requires and demands from his people. And Elijah represents the voice of God, the, pre- the, the promises of God, the judgments of God. Now, this text doesn't tell us what they were talking about. But the Gospel of Luke tells us what they were talking about. Actually, Luke says that Jesus, Moses, and Elijah were talking about the cross. They were talking about his death. And I'm going to come back to that later on. Um, Now, the question we have to ask to this part is why why was this so significant? So, question. How many of you guys want to know why was this so significant? Please raise your hand. Okay, listen up, church. I'm not going to tell you just yet. Because if I tell you, you're going to miss the whole point. I just need you to keep on uh, building up into, this, into, this, into, into what the text is showing. Because the text continues, and then you go to verse 5. And it says that while he, Peter, was still speaking, which I'm going to talk about that later on, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased, listen to him. Now, if you have been walking with us through the Gospel of Matthew, you might remember that something similar God said, God the Father said about Jesus in Jesus' baptism. You remember that? He says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's where he stops. And here, God the Father adds another sentence that means listen to him. Which, by the way, the word listen there is not just to listen. It's to pay attention enough for, in order for you to submit to him. So Jesus says, God the Father says from heaven, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen and obey him. Now, you have to see the magnitude of what is happening here. This is not normal, you know? This is not one of those things that just happen every day. There's something hyper-spiritual, hyper, you could say, unique, hyper-beautiful about this event. So here you have these three men, normal men, Peter, James, and John, that see this magnificent moment, that they see Jesus transfigure, that they see his clothing and himself shining like the sun, that they see these two dead dudes talking to Jesus. 
having a conversation with Jesus. Now, I don't know if that will freak you out, but that will freak me out. It is not normal for us to see dead people. Even if you watch the movie, you know what movie? The Sixth Sense? I see dead people. That's not normal. <laughs> and you know what's even more awkward than that? That you talk to a dead person. So can you imagine what this was for Peter, James, and John? Actually, the text says that this moment is so weird, if you will, that Peter just, he doesn't know what to say. The Gospel of Mark says that he just says something really dumb. Oh, it, it is good that we are here. <laughs> He's talking to Jesus and Moses and Elijah. It is good that we're here. We're going to do a tent for you guys. He only says that because he doesn't know what to say. He only says that because this, this event is crazy. He only says that because something magnificent is happening there. Actually, they see this as so unique that in verse 6, look at what they did. When they heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. Which I love that verse because it tells you this is what happens when we have an encounter with God. Somehow they realized that all of this was God present. And they have this double reaction. Worship and fear. Worship and fear. Fear and reverence. I want to invite you to consider that for a second. Because if your relationship with God is only fear, you don't know the God of the Bible. And if it's only worship, you might not know the God of the Bible. Because our God is a consuming fire. And yet, he's so loving. So somehow they're being able to see this in this equation. And then something happened. Now, how many of you guys want to know what happened? Please raise your hand. Now you're ready to hear the answer. Look at what it says in verse 8. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And this is where everything comes together. And I'm going to tell you four things that this text teaches us about Jesus. And why is it that Jesus is the center of everything? Ready? Number one. No one except Jesus is the true and the ultimate presence of God. Only Jesus is the true and the ultimate protection of God. It is Jesus, the God that we find in Exodus chapter 13. Jesus is the ultimate freedom fighter. He is the one that came to defeat our enemies. He's the one that comes to give us freedom and he won. This is why Jesus is the center of the universe. And if that is true, and it is, then there is no ultimate protection in anything outside of Jesus. There's, there's nothing you have or don't have that can protect you. The government cannot truly protect you. An army cannot truly protect you. Your ultimate protection is only Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the freedom fighter. He takes care of your enemies. That's it. So if you are not a believer just yet, you need to know that. 
And if you are a believer, you still need to know that. Number two, no one except Jesus is the God of, of the unconditional covenant. He is the God that we find in Exodus chapter 24. He is the God that says, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And if that is true, and it is, if you are a believer or you become a believer, there's nothing you could do that could take God from you. He is the God of covenants. Paul says that he remains faithful when we don't remain faithful. Number three, no one except Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the true and the ultimate prophet. He is the greatest Moses and the greater Elijah. That in his life and death, he fulfilled what the law required and that he is the ultimate prophet, meaning that if you want to hear the voice of God, you must hear Jesus. This is why Hebrews chapter 1 says that in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, but in many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. If that is true, and it is, you really don't need to fulfill the law, you know? Jesus already did. We obey not to fulfill the law. We obey because the law talks about the character and nature of God, and we want to submit to that. And you don't have to guess what God thinks of you either. Because whatever Jesus says about you, that's what God thinks of you. Number four, no one except Jesus is the true and the ultimate son of God. That not only God loves, but he's pleased with him. You know, the word pleased there is important because it means to, have, to find joy or pleasure or delight. Meaning that there's no one that brings more delight to God than his son Jesus. Now, this is a question for you. If this is true for God the Father, what makes us think that we can find that joy anywhere else? If Jesus is the delight of the Father, what makes us think that we could find that delight somewhere else? Your job is not going to give you what you're looking for. Your body is not going to give you what you're looking for. Your health is not going to give you what you're looking for. Your family is not going to give you what you're looking for. Your friends are not going to give you what you're looking for. Your accomplishments are not going to give you what you're looking for. Your retirement is not going to give you what you're looking for. True joy, true pleasure, true delight is only found in the person of Jesus. No one except Jesus can fight your fights. No one except Jesus can be the ultimate protection. No one except Jesus loves you with covenant love. No one except Jesus uh, uh, fulfills the law. No one except Jesus is the voice of God. No one except Jesus is the ultimate pleasure, the ultimate joy, and the ultimate delight. That was the whole point of the transfiguration. For us to find Jesus more beautiful, more perfect, more attractive, more sufficient than anything else. It wasn't just a thing. Because Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God the Father. The question that you have to ask yourself is this. Do you really see Jesus like that? I'm going to tell you how I answer that question. I'm still in the process. 
I still struggle with seeing Jesus as sufficient. Sometimes I struggle seeing him as just as beautiful. And that's why we still need Matthew chapter 17. Because we're still in a process of learning how to view Jesus just like that. Now, the problem with this text, though, is that it feels exclusive. Right? It puts Jesus as the only way, which leads me to my second point. One of the things that is clear about the text is that says that Jesus is truly the only way. That there's no Jesus plus somebody else. Jesus plus something. It's just Jesus and Jesus alone. So if you are here and you're exploring Christianity or you're listening to the sermon and you're exploring Christianity, most likely for you this feels exclusive. Now this is interesting. If you're a believer living in a culture in which we are today, one of the things that people will hold against you is that our faith seems to be exclusive. Narrow-minded people, they would say. And I'm here to make an argument just for a few seconds, a few minutes, maybe a few hours. (laughs) That as much as Christianity seems to be exclusive because Jesus is the only way, I'm here to argue that there is no quote-unquote religion in the world that is more inclusive than Christianity. Give you some points really quick. Number one, right from the foundation of our faith, Christianity is a religion, quote-unquote religion, that reaches all kinds of people. The rich and the poor. The male and the female. The professional and the non-professional. The one that has a lot and the one that has nothing. Christianity in the history of the world is the reason why we have human rights. It's because we live that all human beings have been created in the image of God and they have value and dignity. I believe that's inclusive. Christianity says that we are responsible for the things we do. And at the same time, Christianity tells you that we should fight to change systems so we can help people change. I think that's inclusive. Christianity brings all kinds of ethnic groups together. Just think about that picture when we're praying over Greece. Who would have put that group of people together? Who would grab a Colombian from South America, bring him to the United States, so later on he could go to Greece to pray for the nations? I think that's inclusive. Christianity is the first religion that actually brought men and women together, elevating women and giving them dignity and value. Christianity is the first religion that has a completely different definition of leadership and power. Christianity is the one that says that if you are a leader and God gives you power, it's not for you, it's to serve others. I think that's inclusive. Christianity is the first religion that has a completely different definition of love. Our definition of love is not about feelings, It's not what I want, and it's not what I like. The Christian definition of love is to do anything in your power for the sake of another person. That's what love is. 
So I want to make the argument that as narrow as this text looks like, and as much as people think that our, that our quote-unquote religion is exclusive, I'm here to argue that there's no more inclusive religion than Christianity. You know why? Because the Lord saves you and then he sends you out. To love, to serve, to care. There is no other quote-unquote religion in the world in which you are called to love your neighbor and love your enemies. You know what our problem is? Our problem is that we ask two questions. Which neighbor and which enemies? And Jesus says, all of them. Don't you think that Christianity is inclusive? One of the scholars put says, love is the epicenter of what it means to be a Christian in this world. From that perspective, there's nothing better than Christianity for this world. There's nothing that would change this world more than Christianity. There's nothing that sends people into the world better than Christianity. That's why Matthew 17 is still so important. It reminds you of who Jesus is. He transforms your lives. And then he sends you out. There's a third reason why I think that we have Matthew 17. So we remember that no one else, no one except Jesus, is the pleasure of God. Point number three. Now, do you remember how I told you that Jesus was talking to Moses and Elijah about the cross? That's weird. Don't you think so? I mean, why don't they talk about all this stuff? Why is it that you need two people from the Old Testament show up in the New Testament to talk to Jesus about death? And actually, when you keep on reading uh, the text, right at the end, there's this conversation about John the Baptist and who Elijah was. But in the middle of all of that, we find this verse, verse 12. Jesus says that in the same way, the Son of Man is going to have to suffer at their hands. And he's talking about the cross. So here's the question. How do we make Jesus the center of our universe? Can we trust Jesus enough for, for us to rest in the reality that he's going to fight our fights? Can we trust his protection? Can we trust in his covenant love? Can we really believe that he fulfilled the law? How do we do to find delight in him? The answer for me at least is the cross. Why wouldn't you trust Jesus? He went to the cross to give his life for you. Why wouldn't you trust the very person that, that dropped it all to save you? Is Jesus going to ever fight your fights? Of course he is. He already fought the greatest fight and won. He already defeated your sin, your condemnation, and the devil. What makes you think that he's not, he's not going to fight any other fight? Have you ever doubted that God is going to protect you? Why would you doubt that? If the Bible says that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. You know what the word nothing means in the original? Nothing. 
Nothing, nothing, nothing. Why would you doubt his covenant love? I'm going to be with you until the end of the world, Jesus says. Your sin cannot take you away from him. The, the awful things that you do cannot take you away from him. The, the, anything in the world can take you away from him. He's committed to you and he will not let you go. He's the one that says whatever it takes. In the midst of your sin, you turn around and Jesus says whatever it takes. Why wouldn't you trust Jesus like that? Why wouldn't you trust that he fulfilled the law? You know, that would be one thing that we always struggle with. Somehow we still believe in our religious hearts that we're supposed to fulfill the law in order to be accepted. You want me to prove that to you? You got to say yes. Great. When you have a really good week, you prayed, devotional time, served, talked to everyone the right way, all of that stuff. I guarantee you that you drive to church and you say, man, today's going to be an awesome Sunday. I'm already accepted. But how about that week in which your sins got a hold of you? In which your words were not kind? In which you were impatient? In which you hurt people? Do you come to church with the same spirit? There it is. That's why we must believe that Jesus fulfilled what the law required. Let me give you something, more, something else. This is where true freedom comes from. Let's look at verse 5 once again. This is God the Father saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Did you know that that description... From the Father to the Son is the same description that the Father will do for us in Jesus. It is because Jesus went to the cross that we have been adopted, Romans chapter 8. It is because Jesus went to the cross that we have been loved to the same magnitude that Jesus has been loved, John chapter 17, verse 23. It is because Jesus went to the cross that not only God the Father finds delight and pleasure in his son. Hear me out, church. But if we are in Jesus, God the Father finds delight in us. Because when he sees you, he sees you in Jesus. This is the interesting thing. That the more we understand how much he delights in us, the more we would want to delight in him. I find it super interesting that the text says that God talked about his son. It said that he loved them. And then he says, listen to him. You know that that order really matters, right? Because if that text can also be applied to us as Christians, we, have been, we are children of God. We have been loved by God. He delights in us, and therefore we obey. Don't you find that interesting? Now, one of the ways as how Christians, we continue to cultivate our understanding and the experience of what it means to be loved by God is by participating in communion, in which we get to see and we get to remember and we get to taste 
the magnitude of what it means to be loved by God in Jesus Christ. So if you are a Christian, this celebration is for you. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to not participate just yet. I want you to consider what you heard. I want, you to, I want to invite you to submit your life to Jesus and then participate. One of the things that the Bible calls us to before participating in communion is to actually examine our hearts. So I asked you the question before, how many of us are actually looking at Jesus the way we're supposed to? And I told you that I still struggle with that. This is the time when we repent. This is the time where we surrender anything and everything to the Lord before participating. This is the time where we remember that we are his children, that he has loved us, that he delights in us because of what Jesus did. Let's just spend a few seconds there between you and the Lord. ask you to please take your cup and remove the side of the cup where you find the bread. And the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may participate. Now you can remove the other side of the cup where you find the juice. And the Bible says that in the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You may participate. Lord, as we participate in communion, And as these elements enter into our system, I pray, Lord, that we find Jesus so amazing, so reliable, 
so perfect that we believe more and more that there's no one better than him. No one more secure, no one more reliable, no one more beautiful, no one more satisfying, no one more trustworthy, and no one more worthy of adoration, respect, and submission than him. So Heavenly Father, please help us see, understand, believe, and experience the reality of what it means to have Jesus and no one else. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says... The grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea and I am safe on the solid ground the Lord is my salvation I will not fear when darkness falls his strength will help me scale these walls I'll see the dawn of the rising sun the Lord is my salvation spring will come the Lord is my salvation in times of waiting times of need when I know lost when I am Oh
effect of us knowing that the Lord is our salvation. In an attitude of worship, because of that, we go into the world and we love our neighbors as ourselves. It's actually it's part of our mission statement. If you remember, we are called to love God, love one another, and love our neighbors. And it's part of the reason why uh, this year, once again, we're going to celebrate and uh, do what we call CareFest. How many of you guys participated in CareFest before? I don't know if you know this, but this is CareFest number 18. For 18 years, we have been able to go into our community to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, to serve them as much as we can. So uh, this is uh, our next CareFest. is going to take place on Saturday, May 6th. Um, we usually do have around 60 projects around the community. So I'm inviting you for you to sign up to get ready because this is one of the ways in which we go into the community and we spread the fragrance of God. Amen? I also want to invite you to, uh, not just to participate, but if you have suggestions of projects, you should go to wittenbiblechurch.org uh, slash carefest, and you could um, provide information for projects, projects that we could possibly do. Um, and I also I want to invite you to pray. This is one, a great opportunity for us, not just to be out there and serve people, but also we pray for divine appointments, for, for opportunities for us to talk to people that still are far away from God. Amen? I'm going to ask you to please stand. I want to pray over you the benediction that we find in Jesus Christ. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that his ways may be known on earth and his salvation among all the nations. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you. You are sent.